0: This podcast is about anything and everything that gets us better at making things good and good at making things better. It's called Extreme Stewardship, because the first thing to say about getting better at making things good and good at making things better is that both we ourselves and whatever we're working on don't belong to us. We are stewards of what is God's, not owners of what is ours. And in a world that prioritizes getting as the ultimate good, and self as the ultimate end, that's pretty extreme. This is episode 5, where work is not a necessary evil to be avoided at all costs. Somewhere around 2500 BC, maybe a fair bit earlier than that, an oral tradition was written down that we call the Enuma Elish, which means, when on high, that's the opening phrase in this story, told in the language of the ancient Babylonians about the origins of the material world. It's a crazy story about gods giving birth to other gods and going to war against other gods and cutting other gods in half and eventually creating the cosmos and then creating humanity to take care of it. The Enuma Elish has all sorts of interesting connections to Genesis 1 and 2 to the extent that many scholars think Genesis was in part a polemic against the Enuma Elish, as if to say, that's the Babylonian version of how this world came to be, but here's the real story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so on. Now, Genesis has some things in common with the Enuma Elish, one of which is that humanity is put on earth to work. But there's a crucial contrast within this similarity, and it's this. In the Enuma Elish, Marduk, the hero of the story, who of course becomes the chief deity of the Babylonians, announces to the other gods that he will create man on whom the toil of the gods will be laid so that the gods may rest. In other words, part of the problem that prompts the creation of humanity is that there is work to do and the gods don't want to do it, so Marduk appeases them by creating a bunch of little human slaves to do the work for them. Work is fundamental to human existence, but it is a bad thing. It is a necessary evil. It is a burden placed on us by the gods who want us to work so that they won't have to. Genesis agrees with the Enuma Elish that work is fundamental to human existence agrees that God has given us this task of stewarding creation, but radically disagrees with the negativity of the whole situation. Perhaps the most important thing we ought to see regarding work in Genesis 1 and 2 is that work is happening in Genesis 1 and 2. Work comes before Genesis 3, before sin, before the fall, before everything goes wrong. Work is a good thing. Work has now been tainted by sin, just like everything else has. But work is not a result of sin or a consequence of sin. Work is good. It is a gift, not a burden, a blessing, not a curse. It's not only the Babylonians who got this backward. Even those of us who read Genesis rather than the Enuma Elish easily slip into thinking Marduk had it right. For example, in the first century AD, there was a Jewish man named Josephus. Josephus was a leader in the Jewish rebellion against the Roman Empire in the late 60s AD, but through a rather suspicious set of circumstances found himself on the Roman side of the equation, and eventually, long after Judea had been conquered, Jerusalem destroyed, and all the rest, Josephus found himself in Rome trying his best to bring the Jewish faith to a Roman audience. One of the ways he did this was to produce what is called the Antiquities of the Jews, which includes a retelling of the entire Old Testament. Think of it as a cross between a translation and a sermon series. So Josephus tells the creation narrative in Genesis 1 and 2, and here's what he says about Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall God had decreed for Adam and Eve to live a life of bliss, unmolested by all ill, with no care to fret their souls. All things that contribute to enjoyment and pleasure were, through God's providence, to spring up for them spontaneously without toil or distress. In other words, the original arrangement of creation was that the garden would spontaneously produce food for Adam and Eve so that they could live lives of luxury and idleness, never having to work for anything. And it was only when sin entered the picture that work came along with it. And if you think this is only an ancient problem, here's a line from a children's Bible that we have in our home. Adam and Eve had everything they wanted. They were never sick or hungry. They never had to work. Then, once sin entered the picture, God says, you must work hard from now on. Now, you must work the ground to get your food as long as you live. Once again, work is a necessary evil. It is a result of the fall. It was not part of God's original intent for creation. And once again, this is not what Genesis tells us. Genesis tells us that work was commanded. Work was given before the fall. Work is good. Now, what's the payoff of this? Well, it probably starts with my attitude toward my work. If I think of my work as a necessary evil to be avoided at all costs, I'll never find any joy in the process. I might be happy when my work is done, or when I can at least take a break from it, but I'll never lean wholeheartedly into the actual doing of the work. I'll miss the fact that work is a gift from God, and not just any gift, but precisely the gift that He created me to receive. When I work, I feel His pleasure. You might recognize the allusion to Eric Little's classic line about the creaturely sensation of doing exactly what God created us to do. But notice what I'm saying. Notice what this whole series is about. Work is the answer to the why question Why am I here? Why do I exist? And there are two ways to reject this biblical truth. To avoid work or to despise work. If I despise my work, I will despise myself, and I will despise the one who created me to do that work. It's awfully hard to feel his pleasure in my work if I feel no pleasure in my work. And if I avoid work, I am avoiding the very reason for my existence. By the way, just as a reminder, That previous sentence is only true if we've properly defined work. I am absolutely not saying that earn money is the reason for my existence. I'm not saying sit in an office is the reason for my existence. I'm not saying get bossed around at a job site is the reason for my existence. I'm saying improve creation is the reason for my existence. And if I refuse to do that, if I avoid that work, I have no reason to exist in the first place. this is not just a philosophical or academic point. It's a lived reality. Physical and mental and psychological activity that improves creation is what gives life meaning. And in the absence of this sort of activity, life is meaningless. Depression, anxiety, insecurity, suicide, these are real things for real people whose lives do not involve work. Now, I am not saying that unemployment is the sole cause of suicide. I am not saying that people who struggle with depression just need to get a job and all their problems will go away. Not at all. Mental health is vastly more complicated than that. But I am saying that improving creation is inextricable from meaningful human experience. I am saying that when work is about making money, and that's all it's about, and then you give people the opportunity to make money without working, And therefore, there's no reason to work because the only end that it served has already been accomplished. You are begging for a mental health epidemic. The root problem is not merely that someone could make money without doing anything to earn it. The root problem is that we have stolen from people the opportunity to live life as God intended it. God gave us life so that we could work. And when we don't work, we have no reason to live. Work is one of God's greatest gifts to us, and we are poorer in the extreme when we reject that gift. One other implication of the goodness of work is worth mentioning here, particularly for those of us who leave our families to perform some portion of our work. If you've walked out of the house in the morning, whether for the day or for the deployment, if you've had a spouse or a child or another family member insinuate that they'd rather you didn't go, you know what I'm talking about. Daddy, why do you have to go to work? Now, keeping in mind that work is much more than the place I go during the day to make money, leaving the home to go make money is a significant part of the work that God's given me. And when my daughter asks me why I have to leave, or when the nonverbal cues from my wife communicate her wish that I could stay home and help her with the kids, I have a choice to make. It's not usually the choice to go or stay. I'm going to go. The question is how I'm going to communicate the goodness of my outside-the-home work to my family in a way that encourages them to see the goodness in their work and tells them how much I look forward to completing my outside-the-home work so I can come back home to them. So saying things like, I know, Ellie, I don't like me leaving either, but it's what I have to do, or don't worry, babe, at least we get the weekend, no, these are a mistake. Because in the attempt to tell my family that I care about them, or even that I care about them more than I care about my employment, which is true and legitimate, I am also communicating that my outside the home work is a necessary evil. What I should be communicating is that God has given both me and them a variety of opportunities to improve creation. Some of those are at home and some of those are not, but both are good gifts from him. I ought to point out here I love my job. I really do. But I know how exceptionally fortunate I am in that respect. Most of humanity, for most of history, has not opted into a certain daytime vocation because they loved it. Most people, from creation to the present day, have spent their waking hours performing certain work because that work needed to be done. Subsistence farmers are subsistence farmers, first and foremost, because they need to eat. Mothers of small children perform a hundred different tasks simply because the lives of their children depend on them doing so. What about slaves? By the way, when we talk about slaves, we're talking about a significant portion of the human population throughout history. And even though slavery has looked different in different cultural contexts and different time periods, it's fundamental to the concept that slaves don't choose their work. Their work gets chosen for them. And I think there are a couple of things worth noticing about this way that the world generally works. First, it is possible to find goodness and meaning and fulfillment in our work, even if we don't love it. Look, most of life is doing things that need to be done. I do love my job. That doesn't mean I love everything about my job. And my job is only one portion of my work. So even those of us who are blessed to love our day jobs still spend a significant portion of our time performing tasks that are simply necessary. But if by necessary we mean necessary for the improvement of that portion of creation entrusted to us, we are talking about a necessary good, not a necessary evil. So if I am attentive to the outcome of my work, and if the outcome of my work is the improvement of creation, I can feel God's pleasure in it. I can feel fulfillment and meaning and goodness in that work, even if it isn't my favorite thing in the world to do. And if the outcome of your work is not the improvement of creation, it's time to think about finding some different work. I know it requires a certain amount of personal freedom to think those thoughts and act on them. I assume if you're listening to this podcast, you have at least that much freedom. But if your work does improve creation, the goodness of that work is right there in front of you if you have eyes to see it. Second thing. Maybe you're engaged in some of the current conversations about what people call Gen Z. Gen Z includes people born roughly between 1997 and 2012, though of course the lines are usually more fuzzy than that. But one of the common characteristics of Gen Zers is the desire for meaningful work. If you hear older folks griping about, kids these days don't want to work hard, Or you hear about a 21-year-old who quit their job and moved back in with mom and dad because their job wasn't fulfilling. These are Gen Z sorts of situations. It's easy to be critical of Gen Zers who think and act like this. But I want to point out in this context that the desire for work that is meaningful and personally fulfilling is actually an echo of Eden. It's a desire that is entirely fitting for us as creatures made in God's image. When we long for work in which we take great pleasure, in which we find meaning beyond the utility of making money, beyond simply keeping ourselves or our families alive, we are leaning into the way God created things to function. There's more to say about this when we come to how sin affects work, because sin does affect work and will continue to affect work until Jesus returns and makes all things new. For now, I want to notice that the stereotypical Gen Z attitude toward work The desire for work that is meaningful stems from something rooted in God's intent for creation, even if the outworking of that attitude has not always seen the world for what it currently is. Work, properly defined as improving creation, is good. Remember, good means does what God intended it to do. God always intended us to work. That was plan A not something that came about as a result of sin. And if this improving creation is what God made me to do, then it isn't just my work that's good. It's me. I am doing what my Creator originally intended for me to do when I improve His creation. Thanks for listening to the Extreme Stewardship Podcast. My name is Michael Kibbe and I teach Bible and theology at Great Northern University in Spokane, Washington. My behind the scenes partner in this project is my brother, Ben Kibbe. Our editor in chief is Anna Lee Stockton. Art comes from Leah Lienhautz. And of course, music is provided by Dave Murray of Deridun Guitars. If this series has been helpful or challenging to you, or if you've got a story about extreme stewardship that you'd be willing to share, shoot us an email extremestewards at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. You are, of course, welcome to like and subscribe and tell your friends and all that. What we really care about is that you have gotten better at making things good and good at making things better.